Welcome to the Multivac Podcast, the place for the food industry to get the answers to their most frequently asked questions. Brought to you by the market-leading process and packaging machinery business, Multivac. Each episode, we're hosted by a team of industry experts. So sit back, grab a coffee, and join us for our next discussion. So, guys, welcome. Uh, this is the Multivac's podcast, the second edition of Multivax podcast. So if you are um, new, welcome. If you're uh, listening to the first one, thank you very much for, you must have enjoyed it somehow and uh, and decided to listen to the second one. So that's awesome. Um, today, we're going to talk about um, sustainability goes beyond just the packaging. So we talked last time a lot about the plastics and the packaging, but as a business, we do, um, we, we, we've discovered and, and looked at a lot more that goes beyond just the packaging. So I've got some friends and some colleagues with me today. I'll introduce them in a minute. Um, I'm your host. I'm Elliot Crisp. I lead the um, sort of a group of sustainable consult- consultants at Multivac um, with the materials team. And then we've got Carl. Yeah, hi. So uh, I'm Carl Jones, um, and I work in the product management team at Multivac. Uh, currently looking after vacuum chamber machines, uh, but making a move into processing. My name's Clive Amos. I look after uh, material supply into the southwest and other parts of the country. And as Ellis already mentioned, um, with a, a, a heavy skew towards recyclability and sustainability. And my name's Doug Keith, and I'm regional sales manager for the southeast, looking after machinery sales. Brilliant. So Doug sells the metal. I do. Clive sells the plastic. I'm sorry we brought Clive back. No one else would do this, so we we decided Clive could come back and join us. Yeah. Um, I'm a prisoner. (laughs) Also, big news, it is um, Recycling Week. So it's National Recycling Week. So as a business, we are part of uh, RAP and the UK Plastics Pact. So um, this week is all about recycling, big uh, media push for for recycling and, and getting that done at home. So that's really... Really good that we do a podcast today um, and talk a little bit about recycling and the importance and, and where Multivac sort of sits in it. Um, but we're going to get into some sort of some questions, I think, and, and kick off with the questions. So these are news articles that we've sort of picked up um, and, and some people have asked questions as well, customers. So if you do want to ask a question, please send it in to us because it's really important that you engage with the podcast because we're doing this so we, we, we're picking um, subjects up that we think are interesting to you and just having a coffee and having a chat about them. Um, so if there's something of interest to you, then, then then please do shout up. So the first one is an article that comes from Doug. Now, Doug sent me an article that was uh, about worms eating plastic. You're going to love All this, right? by the way. <laughs> and I thought it was really interesting. So Doug loves a good article. He sits down in the coffee in the morning and obviously Googles, nothing better, yeah. Googles about worms. So if you haven't seen this, uh, this is an article about how uh, worms or, or scientists are, are developing and discovered that worm saliva potentially can um, break down plastic in landfill. So um, we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, if you haven't seen the article, I think it's on The Guardian um, and, and another couple of publications. Definitely on but, the BBC as well. BBC, yeah. yeah. So, the, so the question is, is worms the answer? So to sort of break that down, is worms the answer to all of our recycling problems? And that's a big complex question, but we're gonna we're gonna get into it a little bit. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask Clive his opinion on this worms because as a as a, as a team as, as as a materials team we often get um, asked about is it recyclable, um, and the old age adage would be it's energy recoverable, wouldn't it? Yeah. And now is it curbside? Is it supermarket um, collection? There's loads of different collection points, and um, and and that's all been driven out of need. So we don't have. All of our materials in the UK are recyclable. We picked up on that on the, on, on the first episode, and, and I really encourage you to go and have a little 
listen to that if if, if possible. Um, but um, yeah, Clive, <laughs> opinion about worms bridging the gap on recycling. The first thing that pops into my head is uh, that of animal cruelty, which I think will be the end story when these huge monster worms come into the uh, come into the system. They're worried about microplastics in fish, and now there's going to be microplastics in worms. Exactly that. But you never know. They might be able to process it. I don't think they actually eat it. I think it's their saliva. They sort of move over it. They maybe, I don't know, mouth the plastic. So it's an excretion rather than... Yeah, I don't think they consume it. But um, when I saw it, I thought, as I said, followed it um, across to Elliot, thought it was quite an interesting concept. And, you know, if it works, it could be the thing that saves um, the planet a little bit more. It makes plastics a little bit greener, shall we say, than than some of them are. If it's going into landfill, though, and and these worms operate in a landfill site, surely that's going to make the land unstable. This is classic Clive, by the way. He loves loves the semantics about the bigger picture, which is great. Elliot has mentioned before, I resemble Carl Pilkington to some degree, so I'm told. (laughs) So I'm kind of taking that sort of mental approach to the the whole process. How many worms would you need? That's a a good question. It's a a a great question, Carl. How much plastic can one worm eat? Only one, because it ends up being huge. Oh, it becomes a mega worm, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. (laughs) This is people tuning in now. You know, what are they talking about? Just worms for. Yeah. But the, the the importance of this really is about you have mechanical recycling for easy stuff on curbside, right? You have um, potentially chemical recycling on all the all the plastics and different laminates that you can't make into a mono or make into easily recyclable. But you also have the problem that no matter what you put in place, a consumer or citizen um, isn't always going to get it right. And, and and it's not right to ask the citizen to always get it right because there needs to be situ- situations where we can get it wrong and it still be broken down or, or recycled or whatever. So this is just another one from, from my point of view and my perspective of someone thinking outside the box and finding maybe a new solution to a, to a bigger problem, whether it's scalable, Carl, on how many how many worms you need in a landfill or, you know, will the worms escape the landfill? These are loads of questions <laughs> yeah. that I've got. At least someone's Every- looking at another solution That's other right, than yeah. recycling. I mean, I went to a plant-based summit on Friday in London, and there was uh, several of the large uh, supermarkets were there, and their statements were, we're not getting away from plastic. They understand they need plastic. Yeah. Otherwise, you get food wastage, and food wastage is so much worse for the environment than using plastic. So there's always going to be plastic. So whether you recycle that plastic... It, that plastic will always end in in landfill. There will there will be the people that do care, and they will look after, and they will recycle. There will be people that don't care, and they will put it into their bins. So, if these worms are a solution, who knows? It might be just a new story. It might work. It might not. If it does, it could be a good thing. Who knows? I think it could be a great thing yeah. just to bridge that gap. And I think as an industry, we really need that. We need all the help we can get to create a a fully. Um, closed-loop recycling system that, that captures everything. So I think it's brilliant. David Amber is going to be livid. Oh, no, Do you reckon? Yeah. All right, so next question. Um, and this is one about EPR. So EPR is a relevant subject in the packaging industry at the moment. This is um ever-changing um, scenario. So we've got a question about it. So uh, it is, will process packaging be included in EPR? Elliot, can you just clarify what EPR is for me? Yeah, sure. I'm going to give this one to Clive because Clive oh, okay, Clive loves talking about EPR. Thanks very much. So EPR basically is extended producer responsibility. And okay. what it replaces is PRNs, another pseudonym, which is packaging recovery notes. 
essentially each processor will pay for a, a certain number of packaging recovery notes every year, which covers the cost of their waste and then recycling for that product. The principal theory is is that the PRN money and what EPR will be as well is is to pay for the infrastructure to support that. Okay. Cynic in me would yeah. suggest that that money doesn't all go in that direction. Sure. But that's what it's meant. That's it, what it's it helps and supports. So that money there helps and supports the um, the recycling industry, industry to, yeah, sure. in theory, be able to be um, a sustainable business model as well as a um, as well as have money to invest and and, and things like that. Yeah, okay. um, what EPR? The difference between EPR and PRNs is PRNs the whole supply chain pays for the taxes, whereas EPR is very much the brand owner pays for the taxes. So. The idea is the brand owner has say on what the end packaging format is. So whether it be plastic, tin, card, wooden pallet, whatever it is, mm. um, they have um, they have the say in what it is. So does that so, mean is that going to encourage the, the end manufacturer to reduce the plastic, yes. make the pack smaller, in use theory. The recyclable material because their tax will be less? Yes, or what it, they use it makes it them take ownership. Right. Take the tax amount and try and design your packaging around the least amount of tax implications yeah. as possible. Whereas if someone else is paying for it, then you're not too bothered what your pack's made from. But in if theory, you're being yeah. charged, yeah. Does that exactly. not just drive prices up in the supermarket if the brand owner's responsible? Yeah. Well, it, where where it gets passed on to is probably another great question, yeah. Carl. And and to to be fair, it's always going to be the citizen that ends up paying for it. Yeah. Um, you pay for it now. And, you know, we're paying for high energy costs when it comes into to manufacturing, which we can talk about a little bit later on how to reduce that. Mm. It's it's all these things. Everything just ends up being in, it factored into inflation or something. The cynic yeah. me, so it, it comes under inflation. Mm. So that's what PRNs are against EPR, and then process packaging, because I know Doug wants to wants to uh, answer this one. Process packaging. Process packaging, Doug. Well, that is as far as I understand it, is all the packaging used within the process of the equipment before it then gets further packed onto the supermarket. So anything in within the factory to hold products for a period of time before it's sliced, um, that is my understanding of that terminology. 100%. It's all, yes. it's all the packaging that you don't see on the supermarket shelf that, that equates to getting that product on the supermarket. Yeah, okay. And um, it's a great question because PRNs factor in process packaging. So... PRNs is all about how much input you buy. Yeah. So as a, as, a, as a factory or as a, as, a, as one of our customers, you will buy a certain amount of plastic and you will factor it in how much weight you would, you would have factored in there. EPR, though, the current indication is, and the, and, and, and the big sort of news, is EPR is about output. So it's what it's on the supermarket shelf. So that prompts the question uh, recently on, well, what about process packaging? So... Um, the indication is that process packaging at the moment, the way that they're measuring it, isn't included in EPR. It will be included in plastics tax because that's an input. So that's what you're purchasing. It's about your purchase orders and, and what your, your, your input is. Your output is what hits the supermarket shelf because the way that EPR is working is about the brand. So as soon as your brand is on it, you're responsible for it. So that is about output and, and, on, and on the shelf. And that's been delayed until January 24. Yeah, yeah. So if you weren't aware, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the other big news this this week is that, or not this week, but recently since our last podcast, is that your um, the amounts of of different taxes, so non-recyclable, recyclable with thirty percent, recyclable without thirty percent, paper, different ones, are all changing again. 
And I imagine they're all going to change within line with inflation or something like that. Um, they haven't quite been defined yet. And I imagine they're going to change again, Clive, to be mm. honest, yep. uh, before they are. Mm. But um, it's, it's a really interesting concept, EPR. Um, what do you think about it, Clive, uh, Carl? Well, I think it, there's not much difference, really, between that and the PRN. But what, what I can see is that now if process packaging isn't included, my mind's just thinking, well, why not? Yeah. Why is that not included? Yeah, it's a great, it is a great question. So it, mass, it misses a massive chunk. It misses chunk. a massive chunk of plastic. Mm. And as a business, we see a lot of it, right? So a, yeah. a, a classic one would be bacon backs. Yep. So mm-hmm. when, you, when you're when cure, curing a bacon back before slicing, obviously slicing it ends in a coffin pack or, or a skin pack. But what about the process packaging beforehand? Before right? that, yeah. Mm. It's, it's, it's always vacuum packed and moved from site to site and then it's unwrapped and that just goes in the bin. Mm. Yeah. It's, what's interesting as well, from the, from the public point of view, is that plastic tax is the, the story that's, that's really hit the headlines. Mm. And I think generally the public are semi-aware of that. EPR has kind of been sneaking away in the background, but it's going to have I think, a far bigger impact on the processor. The bigger, obviously it's relative to the size of the company, the processor, but... I think unless you're in the industry, impact. you wouldn't really no, necessarily you wouldn't know. even know what EPR is. I see the EPR as the big bad wolf. Ultimately, because when you run the numbers, depending on the processor that you're talking about, the numbers are scary. Are they? Yeah. I mean, you're talking big, big numbers. If, you, if you're, you know, I'm not going to mention any, any names, obviously, but um, if you, you know, you're, you're a processor that's turning over a million quid in packaging per year, the EPR number is fairly impactive. And I'll tell is you what, a- what will make a difference is I, I get asked all the time from a salesman point of view, you know, how can I A, reduce the weight of plastic? The size of my packs because if you go to the supermarket and you look at the packs on the shelves the amount of air that's in those packs yeah that the product's not filling up yeah, yeah or the space around the product that that it doesn't need to be there now just with you know some consultancy we could look at redesigning their packs and 100 yes it's going to cost for new tooling for their packaging machine but with the cost of the tax saving yep. could potentially over a period of time exactly save them a so we're yeah, seeing exactly. it a lot now yeah and, it, and and we're ideally set up for it because we can look at both machine and materials together, which is which is a hell of a luxury for us. Yeah, sure um, but we're seeing it all the time. I mean, some of the numbers are into the hundreds of thousands, yeah. just on one line. Yeah, yeah. You know, PT plastics tax. Sorry, might be thirty thousand in this in in this one particular instance. We're seeing eight hundred grand when PT when 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 EPR comes in. It's huge wow. and on you, top of plastic. And tax. the big thing yeah. is, is you've got to get ahead of it now. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the message that that, that we've got to we've got to portray. With our consultancy and things as, as a business, we're really saying to customers, you've got to get ahead of it now. Get ahead of it, yeah. yeah. And it's fo- focusing people's attentions. Definitely. Absolutely. Brilliant. Sure. Brilliant. All right, yeah. question three, guys. Mm-hmm. All right, rattling through these. Yeah. Okay, so this, this one is another user article that's come out. Um, I found this on LinkedIn, actually. It's by the British uh, Plastics Federation. So their article was, um, they've done some research, and that 61 million tons of co2 is saved a year by using plastic packaging in food so that's 61 million tons of co2 is saved by using plastic to wrap food and how have they come up with this figure well that's a, that's a really good interesting point and um, we'll come on to that in, in in a minute for sure but the question is okay that i that, that i'm sure a lot of people have when they see these things it's, it's done by the british plastic federation so you can you can instantly become cynical that they they, they want to be pro-plastic right mm. So is this greenwashing or is this fact? So the question is, is this article greenwashing or is it fact? So where did they come up with the number? So um, it'll be done on a life cycle analysis. The question is where 
did that life cycle analysis start and end? Because you yeah. can always manipulate the numbers. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, 100%. But I think the, the, the poignant part of this is that clearly plastic has a huge part to play in protecting food. Mm-hmm. Our business is kind of built on that, on that foundation and that principle. So I'm going uh, to ask Clive, greenwashing, your, your opinion on greenwashing, because we get this day in, day out from customers, and, and, and so does, does <clears throat> Carl and Doug. And I want to really explore this for a second, because greenwashing is a huge part of the problem. Is plastic really bad? Blue Planet, you know, the poster boy, and that's kind of what this, this podcast is about today. Plastics is kind of the, po- the, the, the poster child of, of sustainability, mm. but really is a lot of it, should it be or should it not be? You know what is greenwashing, what isn't? So greenwashing, what 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 do you come up with, with greenwashing? Well, what do you I mean, see? When I look at LinkedIn and different social media platforms, the, the things you see make me want to explode because there is a lot of greenwashing that goes on. Yeah, and you can you know touch on the life cycle analysis sort of um, uh, subject. You can make that read however you want it to read to some extent. You know you can manipulate the data. So it makes your product and your process look really good. Or on the flip side of that, you can make it look really bad if you're trying to, you know, discredit somebody else. So greenwashing is a real tif- difficult one in the industry because there are so many things that go on. Mm. Um, just conscious I just banged the table then. Um, there's so many things that, that go on in the industry. Uh, I mean, there was one the other week about um, uh, a, fa- a fairly famous bakery producer uh, basically claimed that their all of their um, bread bags were recyclable. Okay. Now we know that not to be true, um, based on what they they were claiming. But it's one of those things. If you go into battle with these people, it makes you look really bad. Sure. Even though you know they're not being completely honest. And also, is there a statement that it could be recyclable, but in the UK we haven't got the facilities to recycle it? Yeah. So yeah, is that probably. what they're claiming? There's a, there's a lot of that as yeah, well. Because yeah, LinkedIn that, yeah. is national, international. Yeah. There is a lot of that crossover. Because yeah. what you can yeah. recycle in yeah. Germany, you can't recycle in the UK. No, even though the product actually could be recycled, yeah. we don't have the infrastructure in the UK to recycle it. 100%. Exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. they have different you to facilities. Yeah. We have different facilities than them. And yeah. we, you know, these often get shipped to different places to get recycled. So there's there's a lot of it, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then also on so, your point, you know, you were saying about you can manipulate the data. You know, whether or not you're in the plastics industry and you say cardboard is really bad for the environment and actually the CO2 footprint is terrible for cardboard, just the way that other people within another industry say plastic's really bad for the environment. Now, there probably is an agreement on both are right and both are wrong. That you have it's to be it's just all right. about the angle that you sit in yeah. and, and it's all about perception. And, and, and we come back to this PR piece of mm-hmm. paper does look better on the shelf because plastic has got such a bad image. Yes. And I thought this article is really interesting because um, it really tries to educate people about plastic and how it is a really valuable resource. Um, and it really is a very good resource. And we know plastic reduces food waste around the world by about two-thirds. Yeah. It is a hugely integral part of, of, of the food chain industry and, and, and our consumption of, of, of it. But it, it's really about how we keep it. From my perspective and from multibacks perspective, it's how we keep that material. So mm. how do we use it and then how do we reuse it? And that's really where the Plastics Federation yeah. comes across, yeah. I think, because they're like, this is a really valuable resource, guys. Don't chuck it out. Don't abuse it. it like we have done for 10 years yeah, or, yeah. or 20 years or 30 years when it was created. But 
know what what it's good at, yep. and then build on that. There's a reason yep. why it's used. Of course. I mean, it's been engineered over decades to do what the job that it does. Yeah. yeah it's well, been overused and it's been abused. I mean, you look at, you know, the obvious examples of fresh produce or produce packs. Yeah. Apples don't need to be in plastic. They just don't. No. That's why you're seeing a move now to cardboard boxes and this sort of thing. Great move. Yeah. yeah. Which Brilliant. is a really simple thing. Um, but... It's, it's just one of those things that over over, over a year, it's all over the years, has become the norm pretty much. Let's just stick it in plastic. Yeah, you buy a bag of carrots. Because it's easy. It's in a plastic bag. Exactly. They yeah. grow, you know, they've just been taken out the ground. Is there yeah. any need for it? But also, as I said, I, I genuinely think that it's the food wastage is the thing that need, is is the worst um, issue that they're dealing with. So at the plant based conference on Friday, I went yeah. to. The supermarkets were saying they actually account for they're going to account for a third of their product that they manufacture is going to be wasted. Now, whether that's wasted that in production, whether that's wasted because it goes out of date on the shelves yeah. on the supermarket, or whether that's wasted in the consumer's fridge because they don't use it in sure. time. But they account for a third of everything they manufacture will be um, will be wasted. Well, that's sure. the allowance so, they make for it. Yeah, that's the it's allowance they make for it. So, what what do you do? What can you do to to alleviate to those problems? That. Yeah, how do you look at your manufacturing practices so you're not wasting it there? Mm. How can you look at the packaging types so that you're not wasting it in the supermarkets, or you're well, giving suppose, an extra day or two shelf life to your product, yeah, exactly that um, to enabling and, the, to reduce and the waste. That's a really, a really important point, and it and it really comes down to protect the food and then how do we recycle so on the back of like recycling week that education piece of plastic's really important you, you need to be able to recycle this mm. an industry is working there you know we are working very hard to make everything recyclable it is not quick it is not fast but we are doing everything we can um but you, the consumer's got to be aware of the of the valuable resource that they're holding and i think that's really important especially on recycling week and it's another important point that that wrap are uh, trying to tackle greenwashing. So they have sprint groups about defining greenwashing because I, I, it really, really great. It's like Clive and I talk about this a lot, about is that is that the truth? Isn't the truth, Or is yeah. that just a load of um, green crap yeah. or greenwashing? Yeah. Um, and I think it's really, really important. <laughs>